Welcome to NG Church Network Podcast. We are capturing stories of strength, encouragement and comfort as we pursue spirit-led lives. And welcome to this podcast. I'm here with Paul. Just to let you know, we're going to be talking about things of uh, addiction, drug use, touch on abuse. So if any of those things are going to trigger you, then uh, you might want to check with others first before listening in. But we believe this story will encourage you uh, if you're able to listen. Paul, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation, telling a little bit of your story. Uh, we've both said at the start here, our aim here is to glorify God, make him known, talk about the work of grace in your life. Uh, but to, to get to the extent of what he's done, we, we need to just go back a little bit, you know. And yeah. so give, give us a flavour for people who don't know you. Let's say I was meeting you for the first time. For people who don't know you, uh, and hopefully but you trust them, just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, background and that type of stuff. Okay, so uh, as you will know, John, I did have a bit of a troubled upbringing, uh, and I know that definitely played into the way my life went later on in life. So I think it begins right at the beginning. So Dad left my mum while she was pregnant with me. Mum's now struggling to bring up three children alone in a very troubled part of North London, an impoverished place that is was and still is today very notorious for gangs, drugs and crime culture. So, so a that, London family, a London yes, family. Yes, North, North London. London, yeah. So mum's struggling on her own to bring up three children. That's a monumental task in itself. Uh, and I can only imagine as a coping mechanism began to hit the bottle. Uh, so some of my earliest memories are just very chaotic at home. It was a chaotic lifestyle. And long story short, by the time I was 10 years of age, I'd experienced physical, emotional and sexual abuse. And the sexual abuse went on for about three years. So by age 10, you know, I, I was pretty damaged and uh, I started getting into a lot of trouble in school. I was expelled from two primary schools, John. Which is pretty rare to be expelled from a primary well, school. Well, yes, yes. And and there was a, you know, I, I fell through the net. It would be a lot harder for that to happen nowadays because there's a lot of safeguarding in place. But um, that was it. After I got expelled from the second school, you know, no school wanted me. And so I hit the road. So where most kids were, you know, 10 years of age in school, learning, forming healthy relationships, I joined a very notorious gang in our area. These guys were all a lot older than me. And, you know, I was looking for acceptance. I, I wanted a sense of belonging. I wasn't really getting that at home. Um, so I joined this gang. And at that tender age of 10, I started dabbling with uh, smoking weed, drinking alcohol, um, committing petty crimes such as breaking into people's homes and And you're cars. just a kid, you're just a kid. Well, 10 years of age, John, I, mm. I, I started out at that and it seemed pretty normal to me at the time. Um, but when I look back now, it's, it's, it's atrocious. Um, and obviously over time, those crimes escalated. By the time I was 16, 17 years of age, I'd been in and out of Borstal, um, those crimes had escalated to armed robbery, drug dealing, extortion. I mean, you name it, I'd done it. By the time um, I was 38 years of age, 
I'd racked up 41 criminal convictions. So that was a lifestyle that I led, and it was the only one I really knew. So as a young person in and out of Borstal, and then as an adult, did you do time inside as well then? Yeah, I mean, I spent many years in many prisons uh, due to that lifestyle. Later on in life, I also became hopelessly addicted to the drugs I've been selling, heroin and crack. I mean, I couldn't go more than three hours without needing a hit or I'd be um, in withdrawal, cold turkey. And I was literally a slave in bondage to these drugs and to that lifestyle. Now, I always say when I started out on that journey, the, the criminal life, you know, I did enjoy it at first. I, I made lots of money. I had all the trappings of that lifestyle. But as I always, you know, say to the youth when I speak to them, it, it always comes full circle. And I ended up one messed up person. And and so let's pick an age somewhere in the midst of that, in, in your early 20s, for example. If you were to think what sort of things were you thinking at that stage do you were you thinking life's a success i've got it made was a how were you feeling on the inside what what was what was some of your thought processes in your 20s yeah it's a good question john because i um i often look back now and i think how how messed up i was uh, and a lot of people are because i thought i was doing great and the people who I respect now and, the, and the, the person that I want to become and I want my children to become is that hardworking man. But I used to uh, despise them. I used to think, you're stupid. You're an idiot. I can make what you make in a month in two days. And so what if I go to prison because it's all I've ever really known. And didn't worry you. Going to prison didn't bother you. It didn't. I mean, you know, we've spoke in the past. Um, you know, I've been shot. I've been stabbed on multiple occasions. And it's not to glorify that kind of life. But, you know, my thought process was just so messed up. That was just normal life to me. And to be fair, most of my friends came from broken homes. Um and most of them, although they didn't get into that lifestyle as early as me, most of them ended up in that lifestyle. So it was really normal to me. And was there any moments in that phase where you thought, what am I doing with my life? I, I, I'm losing, not winning. Or, or did those thoughts not permeate your being at all? Were you just like, this is the way it is. That's my life. Yeah. I've got to be honest, I enjoyed it. Mm until it started coming full circle, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, you know, things got absolutely awful for me. But, yeah, certainly up until about late 20s, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Uh, Did anyone... Oh, that's fascinating, that idea, isn't it? So in your mind, you're just surviving, you're just making a living. This is just another way of living. Yeah, and... I very much played into that, and a lot of people around me did, and I see a lot of youths doing it today. You know, because I've come from nowhere and I've not had the opportunities that all these other people have had, you know, I'm a product of my environment, it isn't my fault, and you justify what you do because you had a bit of a hard start. But on the other hand, I know many people who had hard starts and they didn't do the stuff that I did. Did anybody try and talk to you uh, in your 20s, around early 20s, 
living life differently? Was there any positive voices? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I've got to be honest again, I, I wasn't interested. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's when I look back now, there was many people who tried to be a positive influence, especially around sports. I loved boxing and I loved football. Uh, I was pretty good at both of them. So we had mentors who were saying, come on, Paul, what are you doing? You could still make it as a footballer or a boxer. And even if you didn't, there's a better life for you. But you, I, ears are closed, hearts yep. closed. Didn't want to know. Didn't want to know. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Fascinating. If we'd met then, say we'd ended up sitting in a pub just by chance at a table next to each other, what, what would have I thought of you? What would have you thought of me? Well, yeah, I wouldn't have thought much of you, John. Uh, and it's awful, isn't it? Yeah. it it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, the people that I love today and, yeah. you know, the people I look up to and the people I, I want to be around, I mean, they were just squares. Yeah. I, I didn't want yeah. any part of you. Yeah, just not interested in, in, in any of that. You knew what you were. Yeah. You, you'd formed your identity or so you thought. Yeah. And that's the life I'm living. It was. Okay, talk to me about when it starts to unravel a little bit. Okay, so I was a functioning addict for for many years. and a function Heroin? Yes, well, it was crack for many years, yeah. and then later on heroin. And when I say functioning, when you've got lots of this stuff around you because you're selling it, and you've got, you know, a, a decent amount of money around you all the time anyway... You never really get to that point where you're in withdrawal because you've always got it. So I would just function and a lot of people didn't know that I were using those drugs. I would use recreational drugs in front of everyone because that was the lifestyle, sniffing cocaine and smoking weed and drinking excessively. And it sounds crazy, but that that's what where we it were in life. It was yeah. normal. But the heroin and crack was kept quiet. But... um. Were you ashamed? Later on, terribly. But at the time, the fact you kept it quiet, what was that yeah. about, do you think? So, well, to be fair, it's frowned upon. So, yeah, I suppose there was some shame there, but it was more that if certain people found out that I were using those drugs, they wouldn't want to associate with me and we, would, we were in business together. So, you know... They don't... What, because you're wasting the profits or you're a weak person? Because you can't Weak keep... person, okay. really you're and truly. Person. Yeah, you could be the weak yes. link. You know, you know how bad this is. Yes. So it shows you your weakness. If Absolutely, you're yeah. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I would say probably um, early 30s, uh, it started to become a real problem. And there's too much to go into, but I had fallen out with people. There were, you know, gang wars going on and all sorts of stuff. And all of a sudden, I find myself without the money, without the connections uh, for various reasons, and I'm using far too much. People are starting to take a step away from me because I'm a liability. I don't see any of this. It was around this time that I met Minnie, my wife, uh, well, my wife now, yeah. and um, we got married and she knew that I was taking these drugs and always trying to get me off them. Uh, and things just started to go from bad to worse. So she gave me an ultimatum in um, <clears throat> 2002. 
she said, we have to leave Tottenham right now, North London, and we're going to move to Nottingham where I've got family and we're going to go for a fresh start and we're going to do this tomorrow. Um, and if you're not up for it, I'm leaving you. So I said, let's do it. And I came up here and we moved in with her sister. And once again, she locked me away in a bedroom for five or six days to do cold turkey, which is beyond words. It's, it's awful. Uh, it's torment. And I got clean. Physical agony, mental agony. Physical agony, mental agony. It, it's the whole thing. I, I just cannot describe it. It's beyond words. But it's you'd awful. agreed to move to Nottingham at this point because life had so unravelled. You got a bit desperate, maybe? Yeah, well, I certainly... Things went downhill, so I got clean, and within months, I was back on the drugs, and, and that was a bit of a cycle. I'd get clean three years later, and then I'd be uh, back on the drugs. And so I'm up in Nottingham. There was no fresh start. I just brought all my problems with me. My long-suffering wife put up with it for so long, and in about 2009, she said, I've had enough. By this point, I'm stealing from her. I'm stealing from the kids. I've gone from, you know, being this so-called successful criminal to I'm shoplifting in the shops now with the, the homeless community around Nottingham. And, you know, life had You're well really and truly in the addiction down. here. Yeah. So the addiction's got you now. It's got me completely. She kicks me out. Mm. I went back to London. Funnily enough, I got clean for a few months and, and was doing okay, but everything went pear-shaped. Uh, and a long story short, I went into prison, um, came out of prison after, it was a short sentence, six months or something like that. I came out of prison. I couldn't go back to where I'm from, North London, because I'd upset a lot of people. Uh, and I ended up in a squat in South London just because I knew one person and it was basically a crack house. And yeah. I lived there for almost a year, just on a mattress on the floor. Stopped it, stopped living, John. I was merely existing, it, it, it was awful. I just lived to take drugs and I wasn't even enjoying them anymore. It was just to keep me right. Uh, and it wasn't even right. It's it's a crazy lifestyle that so many people get sucked in into. In the madness, people call it. Yes. You're, and, you're uh, well and truly in the madness. Yeah, I, I hated myself. I hated yeah. what I'd become. I'd failed in life. I'd been estranged from my wife and kids for two years at this point. I'm living in a squat. I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. I no longer want to live. Gosh. How things change. Yeah. How things change. Yeah. So so you've reached a crisis point, and was that rock bottom? That was rock bottom, um, yes. And it's the best place to be for many people because I see many people hover just above rock bottom. And I think sometimes we need to hit rock bottom. And that rock bottom was for me was on the 1st of February 2011, which is also the best day of my life. Uh, and it wasn't planned. And it was just out of pure desperation. I had finished the last bit of drugs I had. Uh, and I just fell to my knees with tears streaming down my face, utterly broken. And I cried out, you know, almost shaking my fist at God. 
because I always believed there was a God. Okay, so so you had some sort of view of a deity or a Absolutely. higher power or something. Yeah. Not the God of the Bible no. who loves me but, but, and wants to save yes, me, but, but a God who would be shaking a stick at me. Yeah, so you, you had some view of God. And did you know any Christians? or? Uh, well, when I look back now, and I will touch on yeah. that, there were people sowing seed into my life yeah. throughout my life, but I was close to it. So you had a few connections of people yeah. who knew Jesus yeah. were Christians, uh, but you you hit rock bottom. Is that what caused you to... Had you prayed before that you were aware of or cried out like that before? No, it was strange, uh, and it will, really will sound strange, but whenever I was going to commit a crime or do skullduggery, I'd make the sign of the cross. And I only look back on it now. And also... Before or after you prayed? This is before. This before, is, this yeah. was just part of your... All the so, time. So before yeah. you did a, cry, a crime, you thought you crossed yourself. I crossed myself. That was it. I didn't yeah. pray. I yeah, didn't yeah, say yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I knew the Lord's Prayer from school yes, and stuff. Yes. But I did find myself, um, when the addiction was really bad in Nottingham, and I, I used to go and score my drugs and take them, and I would always gravitate towards St. Barnabas Catholic Church in the city centre, um, just as you're coming up out of by Maid Marian Way, just purely because it was by my bus stop. And I used to go in there and I used to sit down. And that was it. Something was drawing you. Yeah. And, it, you know, I've never really spoke about this before. Yeah. I've told my wife. Yeah. But when I look back now, yeah, for a few years, it was sporadic. But I would find myself just sitting there, not saying anything, just sitting Something there. Something about that place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which must have been either God calling you or a yearning of your heart. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. But I know what happened on that night when I shook my so you, fist so, at him. So you called out to God. I did. Do you, rem I, do you remember the prayer? Or? I remember exactly what I said, John. I'd never forget it. I said, God, if you're real, please help me. Because I need you. And, and I screamed it. I, I shouted it. it. Were you sitting? Came, were you standing? It came from in here. I was standing. Yeah. And uh, I, I could never find the words to, to quite say what happened next. I, I just felt the presence of God in that room. And I knew it was Jesus Christ. And I, I know nothing about Jesus. You know, I know he's supposedly back then. That's the way I thought died for my sins I couldn't reconcile that in my head at all why would he die for my sins I never asked him to but it was just Jesus there and it was just beautiful uh, there are no words and uh but let, let me just uh, so so the presence of God floods this room you're aware it's Jesus but had something in your past given you a taste of what this might be like or had someone described it to you or no this was you're like fresh out the packet. This is yeah. I and I can't explain how I knew it was Jesus. Uh, it's one of them things, you know. There's many things we can't explain, um, but I knew it was Jesus, and it was the most beautiful feeling I've ever felt. I mean, you know, we've spoke before, and I can sum it up like this: I, I felt the weight of the world, and the weight of the world was on my shoulders, John. I, I wanted to die. I was every day considering just taking my life. I'd, I'd given up. And I just felt it all lift off of me. And it was beautiful. And, and it was something that I'd never experienced up until that point. It was just peace. Just the absolute 
peace. And it was beautiful and I didn't want to leave that space. It was beautiful and then, you know, it got ramped up a bit and I started praising God and thanking him and I was um, speaking in tongues. I was. You, you knew God had met you I, in that moment. It felt like a dream. Yeah. It felt like a dream. Nothing seemed to be consciously being done, but I, I just remember singing and praising, and, and then I'd be lying on the floor, sobbing my heart out. And uh, it was as if I was being purged, you know, and, but it, it was beautiful. And I was crying and crying and crying, and I began to see myself just really as I was, this, this wretched person, this awful person. But at the same time, there was just this presence of Jesus just there with me. It was beautiful. I, I fell into a deep sleep and I woke up the next day. And as my head started to clear, I thought, what happened last night? Was that a dream? I mean, what happened? And, and I heard Jesus, I heard his voice. He said to me, I love you. Sorry. And then it hit me like a, a ton of bricks. I wasn't clucking. I wasn't in withdrawal. I've been asleep for, must be at least eight, ten hours. I should wake up sick. I wake up sick every day because my body needs the heroin. And I knew that he'd healed me. He'd healed me of an addiction that I'd had for so many years that I'd done the hard way and sweated it out for days, but that was just the physical overcome. My mind wasn't healed. I'd always go back to it. I'd been in rehab. I'd been on methadone. I'd been on Subutex. I'd been through everything to get off this junk. And one touch from Jesus, and I knew it. And I was healed, and all of a sudden, I knew what had happened, that it wasn't a dream last night, that all of that was real, that Jesus had healed me, and... You, just... you knew emotionally, physiologically, and spiritually, I guess, that you were a changed person. Yeah. Of course, I didn't understand all of the, the ins and outs and the, the doctrine and the theology of anything, but I knew that I had been healed by Jesus and I knew that he loved me. And I also knew that I was saved. I knew, you know, I understood it better as I started engaging with Christianity and the Bible and, you know, good people getting around me and explaining it to me. So it's really hard to explain how I knew that. But I knew that I was God's child. Yes. Amazing, absolutely amazing. It was, it is. And, and it doesn't always happen that way for everybody. No, absolutely not. But you must have been in a rile oh, state. praise Jesus. I, I often wonder why he gave me that experience because it can be so, I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but, you know, I've had the absolute privilege of, of leading dozens and dozens of people to Christ in the prayer and... Very often I see very little change and, 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 and I do explain to them, look, it might not be bells and whistles, but if there is, don't be freaked out. So, yeah.
So, so you wake up that next day, you know that your life is changed, but you don't, you understand God's done something, but you don't know the details of what he's done. You just know you're a changed person. Yeah. If, if I'd have met you that morning, would you say I'm a Christian now? No. No, I don't think so, because I didn't understand it on no. that level. No. But I, I would have told you for sure that, well, I suppose it's the same thing. I, because I just couldn't keep my mouth shut about it. That, okay, so you started telling people straight away. Yeah, God had healed me. Uh, Jesus Christ is real. And, you know... Who it, was the first person you told? Can you remember? Uh, I think it was... Um, yeah, my friend who I went over to South London to, to stay with, uh, if yeah. you could call it that. Yeah. Uh, I remember telling someone on the train. See, I had to get back to Nottingham. I just knew I had to get back that to day, Nottingham. Or a few uh, days later. No, that day. That day. No money. Um, had to bunk the train. And even that, John, <laughs> I'm not encouraging anyone to bunk trains, but I got on this train and I needed to get to Nottingham. I didn't know why. I just knew I did. And um, I was on the train and this ticket inspector was going up and down. And he was, even with old women, he was checking their tickets properly. And he just kept walking past me. And again, I, I knew that something was happening and, and I had to get home. And long story short, you know, God healed my marriage that was dead in the water I mean we were I was having an affair with drugs and, and and other women my wife was seeing another person for us our marriage was dead and you know we've just celebrated our uh, 23rd wedding anniversary he was he healed my my addiction he restored my marriage he restored my family now obviously I had to work you know, with him we'll, on those We'll come things. back to that in a minute. But so you obviously turn up at Minnie's house, do you, when you arrive in Nottingham? Yes. And knock on the door and say, ta-da, or what, what, what was Yes, so... I guess she wasn't mad keen to see you. Well, my wife grew up in church, uh, okay. uh, and a lot of her family are in ministers. I mean, they have their own church. They have one in Nottingham, one in London. So she grew up around all of that, but she never had a personal relationship with Jesus. But... You know, God's providence is just amazing because just a few months, I think literally two months, I mean, she can tell you her day, uh, but she had been touched by the Lord and she was in a bad place, not as bad as mine, but her mental health had played up for years and that had really come to a head. Uh, she used to use recreational drugs and that wasn't helping. Uh, and she was in a really bad place as well. And Jesus visited her. So, you know, had Jesus not visited her, there's no way she would have accepted me yeah. back. But the same as me, uh, she had just been, we know it's an ongoing process. We're always being changed, but there was just a massive change in both of us. And, and we just knew that we were meant to be together. This is what God wanted. And we just started to, pursue God together but from such a chaotic background how do you know where to start I guess she knew some Christians through the family yes. did she yes so we, we started going to church yeah. uh, she'd been to church many times uh, you know it's a big family and they would always go for the conferences and everything just because they were expected to be there but um yeah we started going to their church over in Clifton and uh I just couldn't get enough 
I just couldn't get enough. I, 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 my Bible, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in about two months. I just couldn't put it down. And it never made sense to me at all. So I went back to the beginning again and I went through it again. I was on buses everywhere. So I was just always reading my little pocket Bible I had. I couldn't get enough of church, you know, Bible studies, prayer meetings. So you're like a spiritual sponge. Uh, just just loving it. And uh, yeah, I just, I just couldn't get enough. I, I was visiting other churches, you know, and... and you know, people were saying to me, I'm sure with the best of intentions, look, you don't want to visit too many different places, stay with us. But look, I just couldn't get enough. I'd take in two, three services a day. Uh, just loved getting into the presence of God and singing his praise. And it was wonderful. And I just changed, John, everything that I had ever thought. You talked about thought processes earlier. Everything that I had ever believed everything was just shaken and turned upside down. And, you know, that saying, I've seen the light really means something to me now. I'm like, wow, I've been so deceived. I have just been living a complete lie. That's how you felt. Yeah. So like you've put on a different pair, like spiritual lenses. Yeah. And, and life just looks different. Now. Completely different. Everything I aspired to was just like, wow, what, you know, every, everything I thought about, you know, forgiveness is a massive thing for us as followers of Jesus, isn't it? And I was a very unforgiving person, very revengeful. You know, if you done me something, I was going to be coming for you at mm -hmm. some point. Uh, and all of that just, just left me. It was just like a peace and love. And I, I just want to love people. And I just want to tell people about this Jesus. And yeah, everything I changed. Bet you were, I bet you were in the nicest possible sense of right pain in the next time. I was. In those early days. I, I bet was, you were telling everybody. Yes, I was. Uh, Do people think you lost your mind? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I have all my friends back in London and obviously we have Facebook and social media nowadays. So I'm on there like a religious zealot. Uh, and most of them think <coughs> I've completely lost my mind, but some of them came to faith. Uh, quite a few as it goes, because they knew the real me or the old me. And they're like, wow, I remember this guy phoned me up. He'll remain nameless. Uh, and he phoned me up and he was quite angry. Uh, professional boxer, this guy, you know, not a timid guy. And he phoned me up and he said, what are you playing at? You, you can't be doing all of that. Like, you're on a scam, aren't you? you? You're trying to rip the church off or something. I said, no, this, this is real. He said, I saw you, your pictures of you being baptised. I mean, you're taking this a bit far, aren't you? Because I know that this is a scam. And I said, no, it's not. And he put the phone down on me. And he phoned me back a couple of days later and was a bit hostile and hung the phone up again. And he phoned back a couple of days later, crying his eyes out. And I walked him through it and he gave his heart to Jesus and he's living for Jesus today. It's because beautiful. if God could do it for you, yeah. maybe he could do it for him. Yeah, he poured his heart out. I said, I want some of what you've got. Amazing. If this isn't an act, and I'm sure you it isn't, mate, well, I want what you've got. <laughs> the... Uh... You've been serving the homeless for a number of years, Streets for Christ. How long have you been running that for now? So 
it started more or less straight away, John, and it wasn't ever a conscious idea. Let's start a ministry. Let's start a charity. I'll share with you how it started. Uh, I look back here and I just marvel at God. And at that time, I wouldn't have said, oh, God is telling me to do this. But when I look back now, I know it was God. But I got this overwhelming urge. I've been saved about three months. I'm very zealous. I just can't get enough of God. But I've got this urge to make some tea and some coffee and some flasks, some sandwiches. We've got very little money. I've got no job. I've never worked in my life. I've got no CV, nothing like oh, that. So you've got nothing going for you in no. this sense. Uh, Minnie's the breadwinner. She had a decent job working for housing benefits, Nottingham Council, but it's one wage coming in. But even that, when I look back now, it was to free me up. And so I've got all these long days and there's only so much Bible reading and praying I can do. And I just made these sandwiches and I got on a 28 bus and I went to the city centre all geared up. I'm going to go and feed the homeless. Uh, and it was a, I can't say enough, an overwhelming urge because on the bus I started having second thoughts. I mean, some of these guys are actually my enemies because where my life went, I'd taken drugs with these guys, done all sorts of skullduggery with them. And I'm going back with sandwiches to say, you know, do you want a cup of tea? And I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And I had butterflies and I was shaking and I got off the bus and I walked into the city centre with these two great big bags and I looked across Market Square and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And I saw a guy in a big issue uh, jacket. So I thought, well, there's a good start. And he had his back to me. And uh, as I got closer, I said, hello, mate. And he turned around and I knew him. But he didn't recognise me because I looked completely different. In this couple of months, like, physically, I've put, I was about eight stone when I was going to kill myself. Yeah. You know, I'm probably about... 11, 12 stone by this point, and I'm looking really well, praise Jesus. And he looks at me, and he says, so I said, you all right? And he went, yeah, I'm all right. And I said, you don't remember me, do you? And he said, no. I said, it's London, because that's what they used to call me up here. <laughs> he took a double take, and he said, wow, you look amazing. He said, are you off the gear? I said, yeah. I said, why don't you come and have a sandwich and a cup of tea, and I'll tell you all about it. He gave his heart to Jesus a few weeks later and he's still living for Christ. And so that was it. I just uh, had this passion every day I was out on the streets, uh, had no job. I'd get out on the streets. I started off with about 15 sandwiches and within no time at all, I was feeding 40 to 50 people a day, telling them about Jesus. It was brilliant. I knew that this, is, this was my calling. This was something, you cannot feel that alive about something and it not be what you're meant to be doing. And I found the purpose in life. And I'm still doing all of the church stuff and, you know, I'm sharing my testimony at churches and stuff, but the streets was just for me. And I've done that for about a year, every day, city centre, five to six days a week. I'd, I'd, I'd take Sunday off. Minnie would say, no, you can't go today. <laughs> and it was brilliant. And then we opened up our house, this, this house here. And we brought four homeless people here on a Friday evening, me and two other brothers from church. And we said, Minnie will cook us a big meal and we'll sit down and we'll fellowship together. We'll get the redemption books out, sing a couple of hymns. And that's what we've done. And the guys loved it. 
And a uh, long story short, within about three months, we would have upwards of 30 people crammed into my kitchen, in the hallway, in the lounge. Minnie couldn't cook for everyone anymore. We used to have to get bargain buckets. People were loving it. People were coming to faith and uh, it was brilliant. And I'd say that's where Streets for Christ was born, even though I'd been doing it for a year, probably laying the foundations. And we said, we've got to get a building. And so we were blessed with a building, uh, a little room in, in the boys' club at Heisen Green. And people started cramming in there. We started doing it on Mondays. So we're still going on the street. But Mondays was a set place where they could come in a safe environment. We started introducing clothes to it and toiletries. And very soon we outgrew that building. And so we got the building we're in now, All Souls Church and Community Centre. We've been there nine years. In Lenton. In Lenton, Radford. I suppose it does come yeah. under Lenton. And uh, yeah, so every Monday, and we have for the last nine years, never missed a Monday. Even during the pandemic, we made it takeaway. Uh, we provide a free course meal. You've been down there. You know what it's like. Lovely nutritional grub. You get a starter, a main course, a dessert. There's clothing. There's toiletries. We give people advice on benefits. Uh, we refer people for housing. Got some great relationships with uh, housing associations. Uh, we've got 11 people off the street and into supported housing this year since January. I think it was about 18 last year. We signpost people for uh, help with addictions and mental health issues. We used to do English classes because we had a lot of uh, Eastern Europeans who we identified that they were being held back because of their lack of English and, and just always looking for opportunities where we can help people. So you were serving this marginalised <laughs> community and still are uh, and you do it two nights a week, one in the, one in the city centre and yes. on the streets don't you and Monday in Lenton. Monday in Lenton, Wednesday yeah. on the street, same sort of thing, one's a takeaway and yes. one's a sit down and eat. Uh, back to you for a moment. I've known a lot of people that have, have, have made a decision to follow Christ from a chaotic background similar to yours. Uh, and some people thankfully have stayed the course, but others, it, it, for, a, for a season or a time, it seems to help. And then they descend back into the madness. What, why do you think for you, we're talking 10 years on nearly now, aren't we? 12. 12 years on. Why for you has it stuck? What, why? Can you explain that? What, what advice would you give to others that wobble a little bit with it, don't see it through? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question and a great question. I mean, Peter springs to mind for me. I mean, when he said, Lord, where would I go? Or what would I do? I mean, I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God. And I'm as enthusiastic today as I was the first day. But you have to maintain that. And you've got to maintain it. Because many people do fall away when the, uh, the bells and the whistles die down. And so, you know, we are responsible to keep our fellowship with God sweet. And obviously there are some times where it can be challenging we all go through dry periods but man I, I just love it i just love being in the presence of god i love his word you know 
I love the Psalms, especially David's Psalms. And I think that's a great way of keeping yourself refreshed, you know, because obviously we read it as a book, but this is these men's thoughts towards God. And when I read in the Bible, sometimes, you know, pray without ceasing. And in those early days, I used to think, yeah, but if I do that, I'll never get anything done. But it's not that, is it? It's your thoughts toward God all the time, always thinking about him, how great he is and, and encouraging yourself when you don't feel like it. Because, you know, yeah, God wants our worship, but our worship is, uh, it's as much for us as it is for him, isn't it? It's where we... As we worship him, he blesses us. Yeah, we, we, we begin to see just... We need to remind ourselves just how awesome he is and all he's done for us. Because I understand not everyone's going to come to faith from an awful place like I did. So they can't really look back and say, well, we've done all those amazing things for me and I was going to kill myself. But we still all have a God-shaped void within us that only he can fill and uh yeah we've got to keep our communion sweet and i think that's what's done it for me just um staying enthusiastic staying in love and just always knowing what what he's done for me is just amazing i remember saying just after uh just after jesus saved me i, I said it to my pastors i said uh and i meant it i said if God never done another single thing in my life. I'd love him for the rest of my life and I'd serve him for the rest of my life. But obviously he's gone on to do so many mm. wonderful things. Where would I go and what would I do? Mm. And over those years, no cravings? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, so spiritually minded that I don't realize that the reality of the situation is that I am a recovering addict and I will be until I go to be with Jesus. And I've had some tough times since being a follower of Jesus. You know, you know, it isn't all rainbows and unicorns. I have that peace and I have that blessed assurance and I have his presence and the Holy Spirit with me, but there's tough times. And we've been through some really hard times, things that would knock people sideways. Uh, and, you know, through all of that, I just know that I can't go back to what I was. My, if I'm honest, there was a point a few years ago that I went through a really tough period, family stuff, and I've got the enemy in my head telling me you've done well you've done well it's okay no one will know just go and lock yourself away because this lot don't deserve you and what's going on isn't fair of course i have i've had it a couple of times where i thought you know what sod this yeah but god's just there with me and so you've chosen not to at some point put a stop to those thoughts and think it's you jesus yeah. refocus on him absolutely they never lasted long those thoughts no. but they were there yeah they were there well unless we talk about the reality of temptation we do people a disservice listening yeah, to this absolutely because it doesn't it doesn't help people know that uh 
you can be full of passion, full of life, full of gratitude, full of thankfulness, have your life totally transformed, but it doesn't mean that temptation won't come and knock yeah. on our hearts from time to time. And that's when yeah. we, we need to throw ourselves back on God, isn't it? Yeah. No, very helpful, Paul, so people know the reality. Uh, but thank God, 12 years. Yeah. Praise Jesus forever. Thank God. Yeah. Sober, clean and, and, and wonderful. Uh, back to Streets of Christ for a moment. You're just about to embark uh, on another initiative. When this goes out, you'll be about starting it. Just to explain what your next passion is with Streets for Christ. Yeah, so uh, I'm always uh, looking for opportunities to do something more. But I'm very mindful that I don't want to be running ahead of God. And I certainly don't want to be dragging behind. I, I, I want to be in step with him. So I, I've been praying on the back end of last year be doing it all the time really but on the back end of last year really saying lord i i'd like to do something else you know can we do something else uh and long story short i really felt that he was saying to me that we should do another evening same thing food and clothing and stuff like that where we're meeting people's physical needs and again with the homeless community predominantly yes with the homeless community yeah. but this time there's a condition there's no condition on monday there's no condition on wednesday they know we're christians many of them ask for prayer many of them when they're open to it we witness to them um, and we provide bibles to people who want them but there's no condition you can come you can have the food you can have whatever you want but we're going to be starting a service on Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. at St. Nick's Church on Maid Marion Way. It's going to be a half hour service for now. Things are open to, you know, whatever God wants to do with it, we'll change it. But yeah, I felt the Lord was saying that we should start another food evening, but with this one, they have to attend the service. So um, you're talking about a Christian service where there'll be some worship yes. and uh, preaching a message? Yeah nice and short to keep their attention 15 minutes of worship 10 minute message uh and five minutes for uh an invitation to come and give your life to jesus once you've done that then you get the food so the door will be closed it starts at two o'clock doors open 145 anyone who's not there at 210 uh 10 past two won't be allowed in i'm sure that's going to cause some problems not looking forward to that but eventually they will get it and you know i love these guys and they love me hmm. uh obviously when you're living a chaotic lifestyle you know things can get a bit out of hand but i'm pretty confident we'll be fine with that we'll, we'll be able to manage the door and that's it we just want to get people because yes i want to i have a heart to help people uh you know, God has broke my heart for people. The marginalized, the overlooked, the, the addicted, the, the people that I was and other people, I really have a heart to want to help them. Their physical needs, because, you know, no good telling someone about Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit directly tells you to go and tell someone Jesus loves them, which he can do, and he can do great things with that. But look, someone who don't know where their next meal is coming from or where they're going to sleep tonight can actually get quite offended by you telling them that Jesus loves them. What they need to see is they need to experience Jesus's love 
through us, through acts of kindness, through helping people. But I also want people, the payday is to come to know Christ. So we've got to ramp it up a bit now, get them into his presence in a bit of worship, preach the cross, say, what do you want to do? You, about you it? want to physically feed them and spiritually feed them. Absolutely. And you want them to encounter the presence of God. Yeah. And see if they will engage with him and cry out to him. Yes. Like you did. We'll put uh, in the link along with this podcast, the Streets of Christ website, and people can contact you through that. If they want to know more about your work or donate to your work or volunteer with you. Uh, and so people are most welcome to do that. Uh, Paul, you're doing an amazing uh, ministry yourself and many will hear from her on another podcast further down the line. But thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And we're so grateful for everything God has done in your life. Oh, thank you, John. And I'm so grateful for everything he's done in our life. Thank you for listening to the NG Church Network podcast and conversation. We are passionate about capturing authentic experiences of ordinary lives impacted by an extraordinary God. To find out more about our network, please check out www.ngchurchnetwork.org.uk.